<laughs> Pot of gold. Yesterday? Yeah. What happened? I don't know. At the trampoline? I fell off. How? Because of meaning. I fell. You fell out because you didn't close the door? Yeah, you forgot. I forgot? Yeah. I thought you forgot. No, I didn't. We both forgot. Yeah, I guess we did both forget because it was open. Yeah. That was so scary. Uh-huh. Then you just went bloop. Yeah. Out you go. Mm-hmm. And you tumbled. Mm-hmm. Pretty good. Yeah, you tumbled pretty far. Mm-hmm. And pretty good. Yeah, you're a good tumbler. How's that donut? Good. Yum, yum, yum. And my tum tum. And your tum tum tum. A rum dum dum. A rum dum dum. Do you remember when, when we were talking about Newton's laws of motion? Yeah. Do you remember how to say them? No. You remember in, in classical mechanics? Newton's laws of motion are the three laws that describe the relationships between the motion of an object and the forces acting on it. Law. That's right, right? Mm-hmm. So what are the laws? Uh, uh, the first law that uh, object unrest turns to at rest unless an object runs on another force. An object in motion turns to still motion and the object in course. Unless it is acted on by another force. Why are you doing this with a donut in your mouth? Take a, can you take a donut break and just do this with me? Mm-hmm. An object in motion tends to stay in motion. An object in motion tends to stay in motion. And an object in rest. I'm just going to eat some of my candy. Say it. Tends to stay at rest. I'll take your candy away. Tends to stay at rest. Unless acted on by another force. Unless acted on in another force. Very good. Okay. Well, what about the second law of motion? I don't bet you don't know that one. I don't know that one. You don't know that one? Let's learn it. Just start reading right here. Okay. The second law states, at the rate of change, a momentum of a body over time is directly proportional to a force to the force applied. And it's sure curve than a fender TV. Direction? Yeah, but that's hard to say. I know. Can you try again? In the same direction. In the same direction. As the applied force. As the applied force. Force. Yeah, it was hard to say. You're though. so good at this. It's hard to say. Yeah. It's really hard to say. You're, you don't... Uh, this is scientist talk. Of course, in the same direction, I remember it. Yeah. Newton's third law states that all forces between two objects exist in equal magnitude and opposite direction. Uh, opposite direction. So can you say after me again? The third law states. The third law states. Can I speak in that? You are right now. Oh. The third law states. The third law states. That all forces between two objects. The 
all forces between taller objects exist in equal magnitude and opposite direction. An object. Please don't touch it, because that makes sound, and then it makes it to where it can't hear what you're saying. Oh, I get some candy from you. Yeah. It's from my pinata. That from my birthday in here. You just had a donut. Yeah. You don't need any candy. But eat the rest of your donut. No. I threw the candy away. I'm dry. It was all wet and sticky. I could really use a change of scenery. Yeah. Everybody's smoking all the greenery. Yeah. Close the matches, they were handed down to me. But I'm still fly, I'm still fly, I know. I'm still fly, I'm still fly, let's go. It could all be worse, I could be a hater like you. It could all be make the man, but that poison's gonna chew you. Now say it with your chest I'm now Do you want to do the intro with me? Okay. Once you're done all chewing and stuff. Mm-hmm. Hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of Ramble by the River. I'm your host, Jeff Nesbitt, and we got a great show for you today. It is August 7th, 2021, and joining me in the studio is Stephanie Ryan. Tell me. Well, yeah, I guess that's true. You are in the studio. Would you please stop tapping the table? The table, pretend the table is made out of hot lava and you're not, you're killing your unicorn right now because it's in the lava. Yeah, don't touch the lava. Don't kick the lava. Don't tap the lava with your fingers. Just leave the lava where it is and don't touch it. But you're suffering over lava. I'm lava proof. I'm allowed to touch the lava because I know how to do it. But if you touch it, it makes a lot of noise. But if my unicorn touches it. Yep, it makes noise. All right, guys. Amelia has left us. She decided she doesn't want to podcast anymore today, and she's going inside to find something else to do. And her mom is home now, so that sounds like a good plan. Back to work. So this week on the podcast, our guest is Dr. Stephanie Ryan. Stephanie Ryan is a child education specialist. She has a PhD in learning sciences. She's got a master's in analytical chemistry. And now she's trying to pursue her career as a child education personality through Instagram and social media. She's written a book. It is called Let's Learn About Chemistry. And it is designed to help parents teach their kids science at home. So it's full of great activities with lots of instructions and pictures and step-by-step guides of how to get these concepts 
from abstract to reality. And it's great. So we sat down and we talked about education and parenting and just what it's like to be a human in the world these days, how strange it can be. And it was a great podcast. So this is one of my first recorded Zoom podcasts. The, we did we released one two weeks ago with Andrew Lapidus, and that one was pretty well received. But I'll be honest, they're tough. It is a lot harder to get chemistry chemistry, no pun intended. It's a lot harder to build rapport with a guest when they're not in the room, when you can't really see that facial expression and make the connection through eye contact, especially in Zoom, because you never really get eye contact. Either you're looking at yourself in the picture or you're looking at the camera to, so that they can see your eyes. But either way, you don't get to see their eyes. So it's, it's never really good eye contact. And that connection is tricky. So it's a learning process. And I've really struggled with this because it's just, it's not quite the same show as when it's in person. When I had Andrew on the Zoom interview, it was okay because me and him go way back and we kind of understand each other's conversational flow already. So it was a lot easier to maintain a good pace. And I knew when he was trying to talk, he knew when I was trying to talk and it's just easier when you know the person. But I've done several now that are recorded remotely, and they're all very different. Some are much easier than others, but none of them are completely easy and completely smooth because it's just a different way of communicating. So, you know, I'm learning. I actually have gone back and forth about what to do with these ones because a lot of the time the Zoom interviews aren't as long because we don't get onto as many tangents. People are a lot more message-oriented. They're not nearly as okay to just ramble. And that's fine too. It's just a different thing. So I just wanted you guys to be prepared that if it sounds different, it's because it is. And for this one in particular, I was super stressed and I was I was a little uncomfortable. And I wasn't sure if she could hear me all the time. I thought that maybe the internet was cutting out. It's just a lot of stuff to think about, a lot of balls to juggle. Stephanie was great. She was, she was doing her best to really connect and it was good. So I, I'm happy with it and I hope you guys all enjoy it. Trying to communicate scientific topics to kids can be really difficult. They don't always get it and sometimes it can be frustrating as a parent, especially if you're not someone who's into science in the first place. What Stephanie Ryan is trying to do is communicate the idea that you don't have to be a teacher to teach. You don't have to be an expert to share knowledge. You can just go. You can just get into it and learn with your kid if you have to. I mean, it's all okay. And I think what you learn really quickly when you're trying that method is that kids are already scientists. They're programmed for it from day one, right out of the box. They go in looking for answers. They're exploring. They're putting, you know, putting toys in the VCR. They're flushing your watch down the toilet. They're hiding your keys in the trash can. There's a lot of stuff that they're doing to see what happens, you know, cause and effect. We're going to see what happens. And that's just what they do. That's how they're programmed. And that's why humans are here, because we have those brains that look for answers. So I highly recommend that you and your kids just try stuff. Go out and explore. Make a mess. Just clean it up. Alrighty. So you can find Ramble by the River on Twitter at Ramble River Pod, on Facebook and Instagram at Ramble by the River, 
And you can find our email as well as other useful information and links in the show notes for this episode. As always, our entire catalog is available at ramblebytheriver.captivate.fm slash listen. Don't forget to subscribe, like, share. It really helps. Without further ado, please enjoy this uninterrupted interview with the delightful and knowledgeable Stephanie Ryan. Okay, here we are, guys. Here we are. So right now I'm the only participant, but hopefully we're going to be joined today by Dr. Stephanie Ryan. Now I know what a few of you are thinking. Stephanie Ryan, isn't that the girl you went to ninth grade homecoming with? Isn't that the same girl? And you would be wrong. No, it isn't. This is a different Stephanie Ryan. I thought the same thing at first. We got hooked up through this service called Podmatch that's supposed to find guests for podcasts. And this is... Uh, it was a shock to me. I was like, oh, Stephanie Ryan, I know her. I wonder if she's doing podcasts now. And it's a different Stephanie. So just waiting for her to sign in. And here she is. Hi. Hi. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. Um, I got the same microphone. It's a good one. <laughs> it is. <laughs> um, all right. So I haven't done a whole lot of these over the Zoom. So this is a feels a little bit awkward but i i guess we'll just jump right in okay uh, do you have any questions for me before we get going uh no okay it's pretty loose i i do a real uh loosey-goosey podcast so if you ever feel like jumping in or asking questions or uh you don't want to answer something that i ask you feel free to tell me that you don't want to it just you know we'll just see how everything goes does that sound good yeah that sounds great Cool. Um, I just just followed your social media a few minutes ago. I, I see that you've got it under Let's Learn Science. Let's uh, Learn About Science. Yeah. Learn About Science. Yeah. So I was just scrolling through that. And I saw that you've been doing a lot of podcasts and TV stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I assume you're trying to promote your book, right? Uh, my book and the Let's Learn About Science Instagram page because I'm working on that brand. But <laughs> cool. Uh, you want to tell us about your book? Sure. Um, so I wrote Let's Learn About Chemistry, and it is a children's board book that talk, it teaches chemistry to kids who are very, very small. And it's got scaffolds in it to help parents who don't feel comfortable with science necessarily to help them teach it to their kids as well. That's awesome. And what exactly do you mean by scaffolds? It's got bits in there to give the answers to the parents or help them get to the answer if that's not their background. Um, okay. So, for example, underneath the pictures of the solids, it says solid under it so that the parents know that that's a solid and this is a liquid. And those are the words that we were looking for. But it also gives them the advice that if your kid picks something different in the book, because the, the premise of the book is which of these things is not like the other, and it uses okay. their toys to compare them. And what if they say like this one's green and the rest are red? That's fine. Um, it's as long as they're justifying their claims with evidence. That's the greatest takeaway the book could have. They get some chemistry knowledge in there too, even better. But that's, that's what I mean by scaffolding. Okay, cool. That sounds really helpful, especially when, like you said, parents don't have a science background. So you have a PhD in learning sciences and a master's of science in analytical chemistry. Is that correct? Yes. Mm -hmm. 
So how did you end up going into that field? Yeah, so I always really liked chemistry and I went to school for it. And along the way, I went from wanting to be a doctor to education. And I taught a nursing level chemistry and I was able to do the contexts that were unique to nursing students. So if we teach a lab on concentration, I'd do a twist on it and make it more about IVs and medication and things like that. And I just, I really liked it. And my co-teacher, she told me that she saw a spark in my eye and that I might consider being something else when I grow up. And I took it in consideration and I just went that path. And luckily everything I've been doing has both chemistry and education in it so that I didn't have to make that choice until my PhD. (laughs) Has it been a pretty smooth path along the way or have you had bumps in the road? Like I know a lot of college graduates these days are not having an easy time finding work and things like that. Did you face anything like that? Um, Right outside of school to get into the master's program, I didn't have um, too much difficulty. I had pretty high scores and my interviews went really well. And I was able to get a fellowship that paid for my school. So I was uh, fortunate in that way. And then the PhD program, I was actually the first person to graduate from that program. So there were a few bumps along that road, like when there would be a new requirement. And I was like, no, (laughs) I'm all done. You did not have this when I started. Uh, Grandfathered Um, in. Yeah, I definitely was a squeaky wheel on a few of those things where they tested it out on me. So my dissertation is the first one of the whole program. So they needed to make sure that it was what they wanted. Um, so I did not benefit from that. <laughs> uh, okay, so where were you born? Where did you grow up? I actually um, was from Colorado is where I was born. Um, my parents lived there and decided that it was a little easier to have some family nearby. So they moved back to my dad's hometown in Indiana. And then I lived there until college. And then after college, I was like, I need to leave this state. Um, And I moved to Chicago and then London. And then we had our own child and decided we needed family close by. And now we're in Indiana too. (laughs) Okay, yeah. So um, you say we, you must mean you're married. Is that correct? Yes, my husband and I, yes. How old is your kid? He is four, almost five. Okay. So you were a new mom as you're writing this book, huh? Yes. Yep. He actually inspired it. Um, He was playing one day and was sorting his toys by color. And I remembered thinking, wait a second, a lot of chemistry, the first chapter of the book is sorting. Is it an atom or a molecule? Is it an element or a substance? And you go through all of these. And I was like, I think we could sort science. And I just started going down that path. And Um, He is the main character in the book and his three friends that we were all in a baby group. (laughs) Their their favorite stuffed animals and clothes and things all make appearances throughout it. Oh, that's cool. That'll be awesome when he gets older. Yeah, it's funny because now that he's older, um, I mean, four is older than he was when it was written. He's like, that's not me anymore. Yeah, that's a baby version. Yeah, yep, that's baby me. <laughs> My daughter is three and a half. So I'm just behind you a little bit. But yeah, going through all the same stages. It's really interesting having a kid where you just 
have a case study of a developing brain every everywhere you go. Like you just get to watch them grow and change. Can you still hear me? Crystal clear. So we were talking about we were talking about how kids they're just like this awesome thing to watch as their brains develop. And I think that one of the things that really surprised me was, I mean, I'm an educator and I know that there are different ways to approach things. I did not realize how many times it needs to be repeated for oh, them yeah. to get it. So I was really surprised at that part of being a parent was that it might be the 700th time that it clicks. <laughs> totally. And do you ever find yourself feeling frustrated when it doesn't seem to be sinking in or you know it's sinking in and they're still not doing it yeah definitely and during the pandemic that was something i actually reached out to my son's preschool teacher and i was like i don't know what i'm doing i i can teach older kids what is this and she was like well what do you do with them and i told her you know well, we made cookies today we went out in the garden and she was like these are all skills that they're learning like their life skills she's like you're doing everything right and it's okay she's like and if he gets something where he doesn't understand it you'll work on it um and so we kind of went with the attitude of it'll get fixed in the end um let him have this whatever's the wrong understanding at this moment but then maybe give some life examples to help him revise that model to be more correct okay so you don't want to correct 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 all the time because then they're going to probably associate that experience with the negative feeling of being corrected rather than learning right absolutely and i think that's where kids start to not like school because it goes from being fun and you use science to learn about something to no that's wrong that's not right and then the getting corrected so i think the way of you know learning through play learning through discovery that's really the way to approach it because like when kids are learning how to walk and they fall, you don't go over and correct the way they're standing and say, no, that's wrong. You say, good job. That was a great try. Let's try again. And it's just the, we, we cheer them on in those cases and not in others. And I think that this is a great place for us to cheer them on. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. How old does a kid need to be to start learning STEM concepts? And what is STEM? So STEM is science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. And it's often called STEAM as well to include art. And I think that you can start it as early as you want because you read to your kids, right? Everybody has a favorite book that they read to their baby. And why not have them point at pictures of science things or work on classifying that skill? Kids can look at demonstrations of food coloring and water and oil and things like that. They can watch that. They don't have to know how to explain it at six months old, but I bet those colors are really exciting to them. So it's building that curiosity. So I am a proponent from as early as you can. Now, they don't need to be using words like macroscopic off the bat. But, but if they, they do, it's fine, right? This is a solid, this is a liquid, and that's gas. Uh -huh. Yeah, it, even better. Icing on that cake. <laughs> So people are always saying science thinks this or science tells us this or they, they tend to anthropomorphize science as if it's some authority figure or almost like some pseudo deity. But what is science in your opinion? How do you define science as a concept? Wow, that is a that is a great question. Um, I think of it as. Wow, I've never been asked that. <laughs> um, I would say that it is 
a tool to explain the world around us. And it is the kind of natural laws that govern how things behave. So like gravity or attraction between positive and negative and things like that. But I I really think of it as a tool. And I think that that's where it gets uh, lost in translation sometimes is because science doesn't find something. A person uses science and then they make a claim. Mm -hmm. Science doesn't have opinions. Science is a way to answer questions. Exactly. And once there's new evidence that changes the questions that are being asked and the answers that are given. And so you'll hear a lot in um, articles where it'll say scientists change their mind. And it's like, no, that's part of science. New evidence changed the trajectory of this idea because there's new evidence. I would say I think that science needs to definitely be more transparent to the public so that they can see that instead of only publishing the final results of really stepping through like what it took to get there. Mm -hmm. Something I think a lot about is scientific literacy and like the ability to be able to make it through a scientific paper and be able to draw the right conclusions. That is kind of a hard thing to do for a lot of people, not only just because of the attentional demands, but also just because they don't have the critical thinking skills or the education to do that. Do you think that that's something that would improve the the current state of affairs in our world if scientific literacy was something that people put on a higher priority? Um, I do think yes, but I also think that there's some responsibility on the part of the academic side of making it more accessible to the public because I there are some articles that are so jargon heavy that it would be impossible for somebody who's not in that field to understand that article. And that's not really fair to ask them to have that, that level of scientific literacy, you know, because they, they just don't have that content background. So I think that the scientists need to work on communicating with the public. Like, I think that's why we have scientists, I guess, because uh, everyone doesn't have time to be, you know, reading all the metadata, all the research papers and everything. That's why scientists are needed to to communicate those ideas to the general public, right? Yeah, I think so. But that's not something we all get training in. So when you're in your PhD program, you might not ever have to communicate your results except to your to your committee, you know? And so that's something that in the last five, six years or so, they've really started focusing on that. And I was lucky enough to go through a program that did focus on making sure you could talk about your science to kids or to the public. And it's just, it's so important because otherwise it just seems kind of othering that only other people could do this. I don't know what that is. I can't be a scientist. Mm -hmm. Where if you've got somebody who can explain it really well to the public and not in a sensationalized way of like, these 10 things and you'll lose weight or things like that, you know, then it will help people see that, wow, this is, this is a real person who did this. It's not an agenda who did it. It's a person. And these are the results. And this is how reliable they are. Do you have a a favorite of the kind of pop culture scientists like the Neil deGrasse Tyson, Bill Nye the Science Guy types? Um, I like Bill Nye the Science Guy. I that's probably a lot from when I was a kid. <laughs> oh yeah, me too. I'm um, a fan. I have a lot of friends in science communication. So like on Instagram, 
there's like a lot of people that I follow on there to watch things. And that's who I kind of aim to be someday is like as impactful in some way. <laughs> well, hopefully we'll help you with that here today. Uh, just well, you want to give them your Instagram handle one more time? Sure. Yeah. Um, Instagram and TikTok are let's learn about science. And I post a lot of activities, science toys. Um, a lot of it is what I did with my son during the pandemic. So a lot of it's pretty adaptable to like a weekend or if you've got your kid home for a week, things to do. <laughs> lots of stuff with baking soda and vinegar. Oh, lots of stuff with baking soda and vinegar. One of my big goals during the pandemic was to share things with parents that were already in their house and easily accessible. Um, and then baking soda and vinegar is also pretty cost effective for most families. It's always fun. A lot. Oh, totally. Uh, how hard was it to write a book and get it published? <laughs> very, very difficult. Um, That's what I thought. <laughs> um, I wrote the book, I got it illustrated on my own, and then I put it on Kickstarter and raised the funds to publish it. So I did that way. And so you self-published, hired... huh? Yes. Yep. Wow. Um, That's impressive. Ended up... Thank you. Um, I ended up hiring a developmental editor to help build those scaffolds in that we were talking about for the parents. And it just, it took a long time. And then even printing takes a while and everyone has feedback. And sometimes that feedback goes against the way you really wanted to do something. So that part was tricky sometimes. What kind of feedback? And like in the beginning, my first draft of the book, I had feedback that it was too niche to the science field, that it's more just for nerds babies um not for everybody and i was like oh that's that's opposite of the way i want i want this to be in everybody's kitchen you know like i want every child not just because your dad's a scientist or your mom's a doctor you know and so that's where i really took direction in a different way of like okay i need to that just that kind of slapped me in the face a little <laughs> yeah like wow i can't believe even when i was trying not to do that i did that but um the developmental editor she was the one who came up with the idea of putting the um, the words underneath the pictures for the parents. And at first I was really against it. And uh, I'm so, so glad she talked me into it. <laughs> Do you ever worry that the world is changing so fast that we're going to somehow not be prepared for the future? Like as a parent, this this is not specific to you, but this is something that I worry about all the time while I'm raising my kids is just that I'm going to end up preparing them for a world that doesn't exist when they get there. You ever think about stuff like that? Yeah. Um, and I know that like my parents thought the same too. I remember going through school and it was the idea that jobs that we would have didn't exist back then. And it's like, wow, we're really training kids for something we don't even know what's going to happen. And so I always try to focus on the act of learning and revising your ideas and thinking things through and asking questions and that kind of skill over the content because of that. Um, like Excellent. it used to be teamwork wasn't as big of a deal, right? I remember in school, it was a lot of things by yourself. And now being on a team is one of the most important things that you need to know how to do. And so there are just skills like that, that I think that we can work on those skills and just hope for the best. But yeah, I mean, 
we weren't prepared for a global pandemic. I know I wasn't ready for that. And I had to pull out some skills I, w- I didn't know I had. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I, something else the pandemic seemed to do was really kind of divide people when it comes to science in the mainstream. I heard a lot of people talking about the science deniers. And I mean, obviously, this has always been something that was an issue. Always. There's always been people who are divided on issues like that. But it seems like in the last few years, there has been more divided, polarized groups of people who don't agree on the science. Do you think that's something that is going to get worse and or or do you even agree? I think that, again, we need to be much more transparent in science of what we're doing and how things are normal or when something isn't normal. So saying that, oh, we noticed that this variant is actually in the, uh, when they found it was in the bloodstream um, and how it was like, well, see, they don't even know. It's like, no, they didn't. That's why they looked at all this data was to try to figure this out. Like, why is this happening in this way? So it wasn't that something happened out of the ordinary. It's just, we don't ever show that part to the world of science. The fact that it's an iterative process and it, it takes time to exactly. learn as we go. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It does seem like that a lot of the time, the argument was, was just that, you know, oh, Fauci's changing his mind on the mask thing or whatever. It's it it did seem like people want to be able to expect permanence and and consistency from their leadership. And that's just not something that science can provide all the time. Well, and if you think about it, like I know when I was in school, that's how science was presented. It was here are the facts in the book. And I was pretty surprised when I got to college and graduate school that science was happening right now and people were doing research right now. I thought, oh, wow, that's that's different, because in my book, no one had done anything in the last couple hundred years related to science, really. It was like these laws and theories that are just so old and accepted that they're fact. Mm -hmm. Um, And we don't really ever show that that, yeah, they're doing studies right now and that are finding things out about Alzheimer's and stuff like that, like the the day-to-day kind of science that it's just we didn't talk about. And I think that they talk about it a little bit more now because there are programs like Skype a Scientist, where classrooms can Skype a scientist and see their office and what they do and things like that. So I think we're kind of removing that a little, and hopefully that helps change the future. But there's just this misconception of what science is, I think. Yeah, I feel like that is dead on. Exactly. And how do you think we could change that? Do we need better science fiction movies or what? (laughs) Well, I know there are some TV shows that use actual scientists to help them write the content to make sure it's not too outlandish. And maybe that's a good first step. I know that I ran an after-school program in Chicago for a forensics program for high schoolers. And we had a lot of forensics people. We were so lucky. We were in Chicago. So we had the FBI headquarters and like all these different agencies. So they all came to tell us these things. We had them as guest speakers a lot. And they were telling us that the biggest misconception was that how fast things happen. Because it's like, oh, I got that DNA tested. It's this person and it happened in a day. And it's like, that's not how this works. And you're going to run several samples of it. It's going to take a long time. And finding fingerprints for people. Yeah, you found the print, but matching it takes time, even with a computer. Um, But that's not portrayed on TV at all. My my question with those was, why don't they ever turn the lights on? 
in the labs, it's everything's always dark <laughs> and they've got little headlamps and desk lights, but every it's like, turn the lights on. There's big old fluorescent lights in there. Everyone would be able to see it. It'd be great. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of labs are exactly like that. Very bright. And a lot of the time, one of the things that surprised me in graduate school, here I am conducting research. I was surprised at how much of it was me looking up papers and going to the library and building out my idea of why I wanted to test this and why I think it will work. Most of my dissertation time was finding articles like and writing about them in a way that helped what I was talking about. And so that's just not what you think of when you think of science and research. <laughs> no, and that's actually exactly what ended my education, really. I, I was in undergrad, I did psychology, and then I was going to go on to grad school. And I just couldn't stomach the thought of doing that anymore, of just reading and writing and reading and writing all the time, publish or perish. It, it sounded like a hard life. Yeah, it does sound like a hard life. And I ended up leaving academia for that. And so when I publish something, it's like a pet, a pet project that I still work on in academia with somebody who's at the university and I still have an interest. And then it's, I get to do more of the fun bits, like do the interviews or, cause that's my favorite part is asking people questions and just learning like their mental models. <laughs> yeah, that stuff is fascinating. I love talking about that stuff how people see the world, what their lens looks like. Yeah, and a lot of the times, like if you think about school and multiple choice questions, you don't know for sure whether the kid got 25 because they used the way you think they did. And in my dissertation work, I found that kids were getting stuff wrong, but it was like, why are they getting it wrong? And I asked them and I used one of those pens that records while they write. So I have every stroke with when they said it. and. They were setting up problems backwards and it was just a proportional reasoning error where you could have thought, wow, they must just really not get chemistry. And it's like, no, they just literally made a math issue. And it's because of the way we teach it to them that they thought this way. But wow. it's just so cool to use qualitative interviews that way. Yeah, it's awesome. So what do you see for yourself next? after moving on to your next passion project? That is a great question. I have a few ideas for a next book maybe. Right now I'm trying to figure out what to do with the Instagram account. The content's doing really well on TikTok and Instagram and the format of speaking with an expert and making themed weeks is going really well. So I was considering turning that into a blog um, and then maybe going the guest speaker route but still, I really like writing curricular materials and assessment items. So I think I'll always do a little bit of both. But right now, we just went back to daycare slash pre-K and I'm getting my time back to myself and I'm just trying to ease myself back in. <laughs> that's great. I bet that's probably really nice to have a little breathing room. Uh, do you ever work in the schools anymore, even as a volunteer? I haven't recently because of the pandemic. I did work with the school district working on one of their science curriculums with them and that was fun. Um, I didn't go into their classrooms, but I got to hear how our curricular materials went, like where there might've been a hiccup or which part did really well and stuff like that. So I haven't done that in a bit. I do read my book and do experiments with some preschools during the pandemic and that's been a lot of fun. The kids are amazing. <laughs> When I was a kid, 
I didn't realize it, but I was a little scientist already. Everywhere I went, I was trying to figure out how stuff works. I was looking at stuff. I was just in, interested in everything. And I kind of funneled that into an interest in science as a teenager. And it became a job and it became a career. And I'm still doing it today. And I just wanted to know like, what, what your early exposures in life were? Did you spend a lot of time in the woods? Were you a beach kid? Did you stay inside a lot? Yeah, um, my dad was an engineer when I was a kid. So he definitely pushed school in science. I also grew up in a time of where there was a sudden push for more women in STEM. So I definitely benefited from a lot of programs that were for girls to put us in science. So I went to a lot of summer camps or uh, demo days on campuses and things like that because my dad sought them out for us. Um, in terms of environment, my parents were pretty, I had pretty much a lot of freedom in the summer times of where like I wasn't really allowed to watch TV and it was like you have to go outside and do something. You can ride your bike all over the place if you want. You could go sit in the yard and read, but you needed to be outside. <laughs> My dad always had that rule. Um, and then it's a great we rule. were out on the lake a lot. It is, yeah. Uh, we were out on the lake a lot. So fishing, canoeing, stuff like that. I think the science part for me was that it was used to do something. I got really bored in school because I just memorized things and got my A's and chemistry was hard and genetics was hard. Um, and I really liked that I had to try and I had to apply it in a different way. So I, I was attracted to science in that way. It was just that it was something that I didn't immediately get and I had to work at it. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, would you like to get into any uh, kind of more technical stuff. I know it's not your area of expertise, so feel free to say no, but just like things that are in the news the last few years, like CRISPR or uh, psilocybin research or any any of the hot topics that have been in the science world lately. Um, I Since I've been working with the pre-K crowd lately, I wouldn't have much to add, I don't think. I'm sorry. <laughs> not even curiosity, huh? That's, that's all I'm asking for. <laughs> What, what are you? In, <laughs> I what do are have you curiosity. Into? If you're asking for if you're asking for my opinion on things, I'm not well read on them at the moment. <laughs> no, what I'm really actually asking for is just something that excites you. I want to try to capture something you're passionate about or, or, or very curious about or excited about. Um, I've been really interested in like I find the whole vaccine development pretty fascinating um, and how the new way they've come up with doing it. That's the RNA thing. Novel. Yeah. I don't know that. Could you possibly explain it to me? Um, at a very low, low level. As yes. if I'm an idiot. <laughs> uh, that might be more difficult is what I'm saying. <laughs> um, let's say, okay. So um, in a lot of vaccines, you are injected with a live version or weakened or a piece of it. So back in the day, they used to actually take pieces of sick people, like scabs and things, really gross, and like Ugh. expose people that way. Where like in a vaccine, you've got like just like a little piece of them, not a scab, but like a piece of. And this was so novel in that your RNA is a template for DNA. 
And what they did was they found this one spot of the virus that nothing else has the same thing in their DNA, and they got the RNA for it for just a segment so that our bodies produce that DNA protein. And then your body was like, what is this protein? And they go after it. And they're like, what's going on? So you don't actually get the virus. Your body is primed for that segment. So that's why you couldn't get where the questions were of whether you were going to get sick with it. You could get sick from it. That's your body's immune response. But the um, you didn't actually ever build the whole virus. It was only that one segment. So that the second time your body saw it, your body was like, hey, I've seen you before and I know what to do and I've been primed. And so that's just really cool. That's pretty incredible. Wow. Yeah, I found it pretty fascinating. But vaccines in general, I find pretty fascinating. Always have. <laughs> There's um, just something really cool about how technology like how we've advanced from having chicken pox parties to doing it this way (laughs) yeah and it's on some level it's the same thing because it's just like getting that the correct amount of exposure right Mm -hmm. to trigger the immune system yeah i was trying to help explain this so i'm sure with your child um you didn't go into full detail about what's going on during a pandemic so i tried to break it down a little bit you know like there's this germ and we're trying to make sure we don't give it to other people and things like that um and recently he's been really interested in the human body and one of his books showed some blood cells and white blood cells as a cartoon and he asked me about them and i was like well here i'm gonna i'm gonna try to teach you this here's a germ and your white blood cells are the superheroes that are out to punch a hole in the bad guys. <laughs> and they're trying to really help you out. And um, he, he that stuck with him. And so now he understands white blood cells and germs. And I was like, that's great. I love it. <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. So do you think that's the best way to get scientific concepts across to actually to everybody, to kids and also to adults who maybe don't have the right background to understand it in technical terms is just to turn it into a metaphor or an analogy or a story that can explain it easier? I think so. Yes. There are some people who would disagree with that probably, but I think yes, as long as you're not doing it in a way that's insulting, which is never my goal when I tell an analogy, but that's just a good way to think about it. And of course, that person who learned it that way isn't going to be able to go out and make their own vaccine just because they've learned it this way. Like this isn't the accurate way, but this at least helps people understand. And I think that, yeah, that's a great way to do it. And I think that there are a lot of YouTubers who do things like that, where they'll make infographics or cartoons that help explain content that way, which I think is helpful. Yeah, infographics have gotten pretty big with the rise of the internet, and they are really a great way to understand a lot of information in a concise form. It's, it's cool. Yeah, I think that's one of the tools that for science communicators has been really important is the infographics or little short cartoons that they'll make. But yeah, I think that approaching it in that way, I think maybe one of the things we did wrong with science was that we wanted to give everybody everything instead of like, here's a list of things that would be useful to know that help explain lots of concepts. And if we just talk about these few things that would apply better and more to real life. Which things are you talking about? So like Coulomb's law, things that attract. So distance between two charged particles changes their attraction. 
the further they get apart, the less force they feel. That can actually be applied to a ton of things. You've got magnets, you've got the planets going in orbit. But yeah, like when you your magnet gets close to your refrigerator and then it goes toward it. Things like that, like being able to just have the basic, then you can apply it to other things. But like, you don't need to memorize the periodic table. That's not useful. But knowing that all of the atoms um, are governed by pluses and minuses and how much charge they have, that's that Coulomb's law again. Um, and so that would help explain the periodic table later. So there are just a few things like that that, and I don't mean to sound like, I know there are people in the generation ahead of me that are like, oh, everyone should have learned how to use a checkbook and do cursive. And there's like a list of things, <laughs> but yeah. I think that there's definitely some life skills that you need to know how things work, especially about your own body so that you don't go to the doctor and not know what to ask or so that you don't get sucked into some scam about health or flattery to help you yeah exactly um when i'm talking to my kids about science i generally will do like a, a cutesy metaphor story type answer and also tell them the actual terms because i have a 12 year old a 10 year old and a three-year-old and so i'll i i want them to know that I'm going to be able to give them some information, even knowing that I, I could be wrong so that someday when it matters, they will be able to be like, oh, yeah, my dad talked about this one time because I have those memories of my dad talking about stuff he may or may not have known anything about. But it it gives something for that future knowledge to cling on to mm -hmm. kind of a little bit of a like when you're making a rock candy, you put the string in the sugar water just to kind of as a something to cling on to. And I think in, even on top of that, with what you just said about whether it's right or not, I think that showing your kid that you don't know something is also important. Um, so that you're learning, showing that adults learn and that you look things up and it's okay not to know an answer and to consult an expert. I think that that's such an important skill that I definitely didn't get when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah, if we could teach every kid that skill, then you don't even have to teach them any specific content knowledge because they will figure out what they need to figure out based on what they're trying to do because they have the skill to find that information and, and the critical minds to be able to sift through it. Absolutely. And then they don't have that perfectionist outlook on it of where, oh, well, I can't do this because I got it wrong. It will mm -hmm. be like, huh, that was wrong. Well, that didn't work. What can I do to make it work? You know, and there's that, that big difference in attitude on it. Yeah. Do you ever have a difficult time explaining some of the scarier parts of science, like plate tectonics, the fact that California is on a fault line or like climate change there, the list goes on and on. Some things are scientifically validated and they suck. How do you handle that when you're talking to your kids? Well, so far, um, we haven't come across some of those. So like for global warming, we made the solar oven and from a pizza box and made s'mores and just showed that, look, with the sun itself, we were able to warm this up. Um, but I didn't take it past that. Um, we talk about how some people make the earth dirty because they'll throw their trash on the ground and we don't want to make our earth dirty. Um, just a few things like that, just to get that basis. I haven't had to have any of the super difficult ones. The, the pandemic one was hard of how to handle that because we decided just to call it the germ. And since we were home the whole time, um, 
he didn't really have get exposed to masks a lot. And so we would talk about like people wear masks to keep it from giving it to someone else. And because we didn't want to scare him to where he didn't want to be around others, you know? Um, and so uh, it'll be interesting to hear what he thinks happened this past year. <laughs> Cause he probably just thinks he stayed home and had fun with mommy. <laughs> yeah. I'm interested to see what this generation of kids is, like what they remember of this event. Cause it's been such a just massively emotionally charged time and that's going to make some significant memories. It really is. Yeah. And it was, yeah. And it's just like parents had to really just do the best they could. Cause like working from home with a small one, that is a special kind of hard. And some of these kids may have gotten a little more screen time because of that, you know, or some of them got to know grandparents really well during the pandemic that they wouldn't have otherwise. So like our the lucky family, ones. Yeah, we had a pod with our grandparents where we all followed the same rules so that we could see each other. And he got very close to them. And it's there's that's he has a different perspective. Like he'll offer to help you up the stairs <laughs> because he's been hanging around with old, older people. <laughs> mm -hmm. But yeah, no, it's just going to be very interesting to see because some of these kids started kindergarten online um, and that was their introduction to school. My wife is a kindergarten teacher, so she's been doing that and it is rough. She gets major props for me because that is, I can't imagine it, it looks like mass chaos with the little ones on virtual because I've done a few experiments and readings where I'll drop in on a class like that. And I'm just like, wow, how do you manage this all day? <laughs> you have to be so big to, to capture the attention of a room of that age anyway. So to do that through a computer screen is, is a, quite the task. Yeah. Speaking of that generation, what kind of skills do you think are the very most important for moving forward? set them up for success in whatever world we're building right now? I think a lot of them go with the next generation science standards that have been put forth for kids uh, today in school, like finding patterns and things is a really important skill. Um, supporting your claims with evidence. Oh um, yeah, those are good ones. Picking out reasonings that are adequate and not faulty and just just things like that are those are so important finding bias in something you read let's see repeated tests knowing what independent and dependent variables so when you run an experiment you don't change everything and not know what the outcome is just kind of like those and those are all the things that are part of the standards now and i always tell my college colleagues because college always wonders you know what got taught in high school because it's like did they learn this i, I want to make sure i'm including what i need to and i always i made bets with people that the kids who are going through school well before the pandemic the kids who are going through school now with these standards they're going to be a whole new set of kids that you don't won't know how to teach because they already know a lot of what you're trying to teach them because they have these skills and it's going to be really cool to see what this group comes up with <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's going to be interesting. Speaking of screen time, you mentioned that a few seconds ago. The, it seems like there's a lot of conflicting opinions on what constitutes the right amount of screen time. And do you have an opinion on how much is too much? And also, 
differentiating between the types of content. Is educational content, should we include that in our total amount of screen time for the day? Is it about their eye health? Is it about their attentional abilities? What should we care about when it comes to screen time? I think that is a tricky one. I think it depends on each kid because some kids have things that they could get. I don't want to use the word addicted because a four-year-old's not addicted to something. They just don't ever want to stop it. Um, They're addicted to everything. Yeah. So like there are some kids who an iPad game might just be, they would never peel their eyes away from it, but not all kids are like that. So it just depends by the child. But I know that I myself struggled with this, especially in the beginning of the pandemic, because to get work done, sometimes you need big chunks of time. And the only way I could get that was a movie. And I'd be like, all right, let's put on a Pixar movie. And we ended up breaking all of our screen time rules by doing that. But what I made sure to do, and the only way I could rationalize it in myself was that we picked things that had some sort of content that we could talk about. So you've got like uh, Inside Out talks about all the different emotions. I love that movie. Yeah, us too. We would talk about that. Uh, We watched Soul and- I love that movie too. Yeah, we learned a lot about what death means and that's actually really helped us go talk through that. And so I always just try, we try to talk about something with it. How did your son respond to the mortality talk? Um, he's still happening. We watched it a few months ago when it came out and, um, there's definitely new things every day. Like the other day he said something to me, like when I grow up, I'm going to be a farmer. Are you going to move on my farm with me? And I said, yeah, I will. And he said, or will you be dead by then? <laughs> and I was like, oh gosh. <laughs> he's figuring like, it out. He is. Yeah. And every once in a while, it'll be like, do you think our dog will die? And it's like, yeah, sometime. Um, and so we work through that and but the movie helps, especially if you're not sure what to do. Like we're able to refer back to the movie. We just talk about it in that way. And then you can add any other undertones you ever want to add like religion and things. Do you guys do that too? Do you include the afterlife portion? Uh, we just called it the great beyond for right now um, That's a to tricky go with one. the movie. It is. Yeah. And so until we could get past the fact that more, there is mortality, but it, the same with emotions, learning about like anger and fear and all of those, like that really helped him too, was the Inside Out movie. And in fact, for a little while, I think he thought that he actually had some characters in his head because we would say, um, your emotions are kind of getting away from you. And he'll be like, I'm afraid they'll never come back. <laughs> and that made me think, oh, you think they're actually in there, okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, so screen time, I think that that's the thing. It's there's there's good content out there like Sesame Street. Like if your kids sat and watched Sesame Street for a few hours, they they were learning. Um, it's not bad content. Um, but then there's some stuff out there that's just there's no educational value to it. Like watching a kid open boxes on YouTube. Like oh, watching I, I kids play with toys is the worst. Yeah. So those, yeah, I don't think that, I think there are much better ways to have your kid do independent time and like Sesame Street exists, like just use it. Have you seen Wild Kratts? We have. Yeah. PBS has some great stuff. I'm a huge Wild Kratts fan. We've been watching it all day, every day, basically. It just runs on a loop in our house. My son likes that and Curious George. Um, 
he likes Curious George because he is also very adventurous, but likes to follow rules. And so he likes to see what happens if you don't follow a rule and how it all comes back to the rules. <laughs> oh, yeah, so those are great those. books. Um, the man yes. in the yellow hat's a little weird. I don't. Why yes. doesn't he ever wear anything different? <laughs> What's his job anyway? What's that a uniform for? I don't. Yeah, get it. the cartoon's pretty good because they end up having him work with like the local university, and Curious George gets to go to outer space. <laughs> That's right. Boy, he's had some crazy adventures. He sure has. Um, but yeah, in terms of like iPad time, there are a bunch of games that are really educational too, of like where you sort biggest and smallest, or like Tetrisy of where you're doing spatial reasoning, or there's Osmo. That have you heard of Osmo? Yeah, isn't that an uh, like a thing you put on the iPad? Yeah, it uses the camera and it has a mirror that reflects down and it captures the figures that your child is making with their um, pieces. And so it'll start to animate what your child made or you can change the person's outfit and it tells the story differently. It's just really cool. And it's, it's something that is creative and it gets your kid uh, making their own decisions, which I don't know about you, but every once in a while, I'm like, make a decision, please, instead of just asking me. <laughs> oh, yeah, for me, definitely. I'm a Libra. I can't make any decisions. <laughs> um, but yeah, so those are, there's just a lot out there that I think is great. And so I don't think no screen time is a one, I don't think it's sustainable, and I don't think it's fair to parents to request that in today's day and age. You may, it would make your kid into a social pariah anyway. They'd be the weird one, yeah, which yeah. Um, as a parent, you worry because like if you are limiting, you were like your kid doesn't know who PJ Masks is and you don't want them to get like made fun of at school. So you open it up a little bit. But even PJ Masks is a good show because they they always talk about like how you um, you're not listening to your friends. Um, you didn't ask for help when you needed it, things like that. And there's always a lesson in a lot of the shows. So I haven't seen that one. It's PJ Masks. Yeah. Mm -hmm. oh, I'll have to check that one out. But yeah, you're right. The not fitting in socially because you don't know what everyone's talking about. That's a very real thing. I grew up without very much TV. We had like one. We had Fox like three months of the year or something with an antenna in a tree. And um, <laughs> at lunch at school, I'd sit there and listen to the other kids have their conversations and just try to soak up as much of it as I could so I could regurgitate it when I'm talking to other kids just so I would fit in a little bit. And uh, it, yeah, it's something that actually was on my mind. Granted, I read a ton of books and it ended up being way better for me, but um, it was something that caused me some legitimate stress just to be an outcast. Yeah, for sure. And so like in terms of like superhero stuff, so superheroes are at times violent and that's a bit much for a little kid, but Lego has um, some superhero things that they do where they have got these little cartoons and they're really mild um, and they kind of introduce all the characters names without really getting into it too much. <laughs> um, and so those are some good ones too, to make sure that like my son knows who, who all the, the things his friends are talking about are. <laughs> Your son's still a little young now, but he won't be for much longer. What about video games? That's funny. We actually just started letting him play every once in a while and he really likes it. And it's more of a social thing of something him and his dad do together. And 
it's timed because <laughs> video games can definitely get unhealthy, but I think the social aspect of it is really good for some kids. If you're an introvert, especially you can do this thing by yourself, but together. Mm -hmm. I personally, I, I like that component of it. <laughs> do you ever play with them too? Um, no, but once we get the Wii out, I'm excited because I used to love playing that. So we could play like tennis together, but I also really rather learn to play tennis together. So there's yeah. that too. So we try to tell them that, that if you get really good at a video game, you're just good at that game. That doesn't mean you're good at football, you know, like that, that's just the game and you're good at pushing buttons in the game. And so we try to do the real stuff too. <laughs> it's crazy how much you start to believe that you're good at things though. Like you're, if you're good at garage or rock band you start to think that you can play guitar <laughs> actually post malone that's that's how post malone got started so maybe i should change that <laughs> um but yeah there's yeah it's just like a lot of things i think it's it, things in moderation are good and things taken too far can turn bad <laughs> yeah totally okay let's see i'm gonna go over my questions a little bit Wow, we've covered quite a bit. <laughs> we have. This is a good conversation. Yeah. You're actually one of my first professional academics. So thank you for coming on. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me on. Uh, yeah, but, I really like that um, uh, pod match. Yeah, that's a cool service. Do you podcast often? Do you? Uh, are you a yes. guest? Yeah. And I started out using uh, Matchmaker FM. And that one had a lot of really small podcasts. And so I did a bunch of those, but then Podmatch, the way they've got it set up to where you review the people and it's the, the way it's set up for that whole review process, it, you just end up paired better and it's a lot less of a crapshoot. <laughs> uh -huh. Yeah, that's good. This I've done two through it, or this is my second one. And uh, yeah, it's been great. How long have you been podcasting for? Um, I feel like my first one was about a year ago, but we really went gung ho into them like the last six months. Okay. So you're doing a legitimate marketing campaign. This is your, your main source of revenue. Um, at the moment, no, it's building the brand because um, I brand. don't get paid to be on them. Um, well, but... I, mean, I mean, as a, eventually your plan is to be able to make yeah. money doing that. That's really cool. Yeah, I guess speak or give workshops and things like that. Yeah. Is that something that you, I mean, that takes some bravery to do that, to, to be able to trust yourself and get out of your own way and actually go for it. So I commend you. <laughs> yeah, it's something that just kind of happened this year with the pandemic. So mm -hmm. I'm still kind of wrapping my arms around all of it. Yeah, I started TikTok a few weeks ago and the video, my first video went viral and I was like, oh no, what have I got myself into? Because <laughs> now I've got this pressure that they all have to do this and <laughs> it's like a whole new world. <laughs> I, I've never been on TikTok. What exactly is the difference between TikTok and Instagram videos or anything like that? Um, I'd say TikTok is mostly like reels on Instagram. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Just except you videos. can do longer. There's uh, 15 seconds, 60 seconds, and three minutes. Um, where on Instagram, you can only do 15 or 30 seconds. Okay. So those ridiculous TikTok dances that, that get millions and millions of views where people do a lot of elbow stuff. 
I've wondered this the entire time. Are they being shown on the screen what to do, like with their hands or, or is this, are they improvising these dances? Um, I think they're watching the video and just trying to repeat it. Okay. So it's like yeah. dance dance revolution. But not all of them are like that. So that was the misconception I had of it when I first started, like, oh, I'm gonna have to do all these trends. And it's like, not really. You just do your thing and you get your group who that's the kind of content they like. Like I've got people who like things you can do in your kitchen with your kids and they, mm -hmm. they follow. <laughs> but it's a pretty cool platform to find things, especially like recipes or activities to do with your kids. Or sometimes if you just need a good laugh, there's some pretty funny stuff on there. <laughs> Yeah, I bet. That's what I've heard also. And I've also heard that Instagram is switching up their model to where they're going to try to be more of a video sharing site versus pictures. That's interesting. I don't know how that will work with what I do because there's definitely a place for pictures in sharing what you do. From what I read, the picture thing will still be part of the service, but it's just not going to be where they put most of their energy. Yeah, the algorithm tends to go against it these days. So yeah, it's hard to do more than one platform at once. <laughs> it's hard to make a good video. It takes a long time. It's really not that hard to take one good picture. Right, exactly. Yeah, videos take a bit, um, especially when you're, well, different platforms are vertical and some are horizontal, you know, like Instagram mm -hmm. is um, horizontal and TikTok is vertical. So all those videos have to be reformatted and stuff like that. So yeah, no, it's it's a lot. <laughs> yeah, that seems like a, a full time job in itself. <laughs> well, is there anything else that you would like to get out there to the public before we wrap this thing up? Uh, no, I think we we had a good conversation. Thank you so much for being a guest on Ramble by the River. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Thanks again. <laughs> All right. Bye. Bye. Well, my rowdy ramblers, we've made it to the end. Thank you everybody so much for tuning in. It's been a pleasure. I really appreciate you being here. I want to give a special thank you to our guest, Dr. Stephanie Ryan. Please go buy her book. It's available on Amazon.com and it's called Let's Learn About Chemistry. It's a great book and it's especially great if you've got young kids and you're stuck at home. Her Instagram is called Let's Learn About Science and it's got some great content as well. So go check that out. Again, that's at Let's Learn About Science. Let's wrap this thing up. Find Ramble by the River on Instagram and Facebook at Ramble by the River, on Twitter at Ramble River Pod. And don't forget to check the show notes for any kind of useful information and guest recommendations, etc. Email all that show notes. Come on back next week. I will be interviewing Dr. Mark Ryle, author of the dystopian thriller Age Decoded. It's a good one. Be good to each other out there, everybody. Thanks for being here. And of course, keep rambling. Just now, say it with your chest now. I'm, young, I'm free. Can't nobody take.